Well, welcome church. You can grab a seat while you're sitting down. You can say hello to some people. There's so many beautiful faces here. Just love our church. Uh, for those of you who do not know me, my name is Emily Lido. I am a, thank you so much, Kyle. So nice. Such, he glided on out. It was like amazing. Uh, my name is Emily Lido. I am a pastor here at Nova Church. Um, and, oh, sorry. You guys can go. Yeah, you're good. Sorry. <laughs> they seemed so respectful. That is my husband, Matt, actually. So if you didn't know that, I'm making connections for everybody here. But I am so happy to be here. I love our church. And so I know that's like something people say where they're like, I just love this church. No, no. I love our church. And I like, I'm a church girl. Like I love the church. I love the Canadian church. I am thankful for the global church. I love the church, but I love Nova Church. I love you people. I love being here. And can I just say, I am so thankful because I truly believe God is doing something special here. And every Sunday when I get into my car, when the five of us load into our big black van, I feel every single week without exaggeration, the words of the psalm where it says, I was glad when they said, let us go to the house of the Lord. Every single week, I feel that so strongly. And I am today just as thankful to be in the house of the Lord. This theater that we come every week and transform into the house of the Lord is a good place to be. Amen? Amen. I need a lot of talk back. I, otherwise, I'll just talk faster and faster and faster. No one will be able to understand me. So we need you, I need you guys to help me out today. Um, can I also just say, like, Nova Kids, having a program that my kids love, I do not have to fight with my children to get to church. I'm not like, guys, please, it'll be fine. They love it. And I have a lot, like, a good test sample. I have a kid in every single class except for one. And I will not be adding to the population anymore, Caitlin and Paul, don't worry. But we have a lot of years before they're phased out. So if you have a Bible with you today, like a paper Bible, you can turn with me into the book of Jude. Uh, if you've been here at Nova over the past couple of months, you, or, you know, some past couple of weeks even, you'll know that we just wrapped up a series on the book of Galatians, right? Who was here for that? A few of you? Yeah, it was a good series, right? Yeah, it was so good. Okay, and so when Pastor Mike and Pastor Nancy said, hey, Emily, do you want to preach on November 20th? I was like, yeah, great. And we all kind of thought that I would be part of the series, but then we realized we had our dates wrong and I wasn't. So I was like, well, how do I follow that? How do I follow like a six-week journey through a book of the Bible? I don't know what you do after that. And so I decided I was going to do my own series through a book of the Bible today. So we're going to go through the book of Jude, the whole book. It's a, it's a big undertaking, you guys. It's a big book. No, I'm just kidding. It's actually a very small book, um, which is why it works perfectly for its own standalone series. So if you are there... Uh, that's great. And if you're not, it's a really easy one to find. You just flip to the very end of your Bible and then you go one book over, like the start of Revelation and the beginning of Jude are all in the same two pages. So it's a good one to find. So if you're there, say there. There, thank you. And I know that there are some of you who are just saying there to humor me because I, I am that person. I'm always like, I lied. I didn't mean to. Because my Bible every time is in the stroller at the baby room, every time. But that's why we have it on the screen for people like you and people like me. So we're gonna read Jude chapter one, starting in verse three, and we're gonna be jumping around a little bit. So just bear with me as we go. So it starts here, dear friends, I had been eagerly planning to write you about the salvation we all share, but now I find that I must write to you about something else, urging you to defend, or a lot of translations say contend, urging you to contend for the faith that God has entrusted once for all time to his holy people. 
So basically here he's saying, I really wanted to write you a letter being like, isn't it so great that we're all saved by Jesus? Isn't salvation amazing? But actually, I think I need to write to you to stick with it. We have to have another conversation. We have to, I have to remind you to keep going, to keep fighting, stick with it. So verse four, says, I say this because some ungodly people have wormed their way into your churches saying that God's marvelous grace allows us to live immoral lives. The condemnation of such people was recorded long ago for they have denied our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. So we're gonna skip ahead now to verse 17. Uh, verses five through 16 are basically just uh, examples of what these kinds of false teachers, what these people who have wormed their way into the churches, what they look like, uh, how they act. And he draw, it can be a little bit confusing sometimes when you go back to read it because he uses a lot of examples from the Old Testament, but also from the uh, kind of original uh, biblical traditions. And so he's writing to a Messianic Jewish community who would have been like, oh, we got this. We understand the book of Enoch. We read that and we're like, what is the book of Enoch? What is he talking about? Um, and so, yeah, so we're going to pick up over on verse 17 where it says this, but you, my dear friends, must remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ predicted. They told you that in the last times there would be scoffers whose purpose in life is to satisfy their ungodly desires. These people are the ones who are creating divisions among you. They follow their natural instincts because they do not have God's spirit in them. But you, dear friends, must build each other up in the most holy faith. Pray in the power of the Holy Spirit and await the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ who will bring you into eternal life. In this way, you will keep yourself safe in God's love. And you must show mercy to those whose faith is wavering. Rescue others by snatching them from the flames of judgment and show mercy still to others, but do so with great caution, hating the sins that contaminate their lives. And then it says this, now all glory to God who is able to keep you from falling away and will bring you with great joy into his glorious presence without a single fault. All glory to him who alone is God, our savior through Jesus Christ, our Lord, all glory, majesty, power, and authority are his before all time and in the present and beyond all time. Amen. Amen. And that is good, right? And I just, fun little fact about this. This book of the Bible was written by a guy named, actually it's Judah. Somehow in English, we ended up with Jude, but it's Judah. But Judah, funny enough, was Jesus's brother. And I'm not like, oh, like they were buddies. Like he was Mary's son, Joseph's son, raised in the same house. They raised high achievers. We got James, Jesus, Judah. Um, but here's the thing. You know that if someone's brother is writing something like all glory, majesty, power, and authority is his, you know that they're not exaggerating there. Because I love my siblings, but I would not say anything that nice about them. They're great. And I know, you know, if you have siblings, you're like, well, they must not have been exaggerating about how great Jesus was if his brother is writing this. That's all I got to say. So let's pray. So God, we thank you that we can gather here today, both in online and in person. And I ask that as your word goes forth, that you would do what only you can do, that you would speak to hearts and to minds, that you would do uh, with the seeds that are planted, that you would make them grow, that you would do a deep work, Lord, in us. Uh, we thank you for your goodness. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Have you ever done something that has shaken up your whole life? Like, I'm not talking about like a movie. Like, I think when the first Black Panther came out, everyone was like, it's gonna change your life. And I have yet to find a movie that's changed my life. It was a good movie. I'm not, I'm not hating, but you know, it was a good movie. Or like everyone who has an air fryer is like, oh, an air fryer, that'll change your life. Again, it might, I don't know, I, I don't have one. But you know, I'm talking about something that really changes you like down to the core of who you are. You know, like, I don't know. 
for like maybe if like you and your spouse end up with the flu and you know it's been three weeks and he recovered two weeks ago and so maybe you just you know you head over to the pharmacy and you say hey uh, I've had the flu forever uh can I get like a second flu shot or something will that take care of it and the pharmacist goes well do you think maybe that you're pregnant and you go no obviously I'm not pregnant I just have the flu and he goes okay but we have pregnancy tests they're actually on sale right now and you go but I'm not pregnant so I don't need a pregnancy test I need something for the flu and then he goes, well, I don't know what to tell you. You could take this gravel. It's, it's safe for pregnancy. And you're like, well, I'm going to take this one. He's like, but that's not pregnancy. I'm so, well, I'm not pregnant. And so then you calmly collect yourself and you walk down the road to another pharmacy where you buy a slightly more expensive pregnancy test from a less rude pharmacist. And you, all of a sudden, your life looks a lot different than when you just thought you had long influenza. All of a sudden, my life went from being me and Matt to me and Matt and who we now know as Leo, which is a good thing. And now years later, it's me and Matt and Leo and Ellis and Joey. And so, you know, it's good. It's a good thing. But that was a shakeup, you guys. And nothing has shaken me up to my core like having kids. And now I know not everyone here I know you're not all parents. And so I'm just going to try to paint a little picture of what parenthood can be like to help you understand it sort of deeply. So there are mornings where I wake up and I glide out of bed, every hair in place, jeans on, not leggings, not sweatpants, jeans. And I walk out and I put on my kids, their pump up playlist. They come out of their rooms dancing. I whistle in the little birds that clean my kitchen, drop the toaster waffles in for me. And then we sit at the table and we eat our toaster waffles and we pray together. And, you know, I pour my whole life into it. I love it. It's just so easy and natural. And it's easy for me to respond to my kids in that way. But then there are mornings where at like 5 a.m. you hear like, and you're like, oh no. And really all you can think is no. Actually, sometimes I think if I lay really still, will they bother their dad instead? You know, and so then once you've dealt with that and you've comforted that child, whatever the case may be, and you've got them back in their bed, you go, okay, we've got maybe like an hour, maybe, maybe an hour and a half if we're lucky, if they feel really tired this morning. But the dominoes are already like falling. It's already been triggered. It's, it's done. The day has started. And so on days like that, it can be really tempting to phone it in from minute one, from the moment that you think, maybe I'll just lay very still. It can be really easy to just phone it in and go, oh, well, if they wear clean clothes to school, whatever. You know, the, the middle one is probably not wearing shoes. It's happened a few times to us. Too many to count, actually. The baby's probably screaming. And, you know, I'm like chucking toaster waffles into the back of the van. Truthfully, it's an interesting observation, actually. I think that toaster waffles are a real part of my parenting, whether at my best or my worst. We like our toaster waffles. Uh, the kids, they like them. So, you know, and so there's t the temptation to compromise in my parenting on those days where it's like, you know what? I really like to just turn on Bluey, which is a great show. I like to watch it too. But I just want to turn on Bluey and take a nap. You know, there are days like that because the thing about parenting is it requires a full life response to my kids. And there are days where I'd like to be selfish, but I have to be self selfless. And there are days where I want to be distracted, but I have to be present. And there are a lot of days where I'd like to be asleep, but I have to be awake. And it's kind of like that in our faith, 
right? You know, we meet Jesus for the first time and it changes everything. Like, how could it not? And we are like, I love this thing. It's this message of grace and forgiveness and acceptance that's offered to us. And at first, you know, we just float into church, hair in place, little birds behind us. And it's good. We just float in and we're like, I am too blessed to be stressed. I am so glad to be in the house of the Lord today. It is good. You and Jesus, you're like, you're feeling it. Like, I think, I think the Gen Zs would say like, you're vibing. You and Jesus are vibing. I am strong millennial, so I don't know. But uh, but that's the thing, is you are like, it's natural, it's easy. You have this whole life response to Jesus. But then all of a sudden, it's just like, oh, do I have to go to church every week? Like, it happens every week. And you know the people on the Dream Team, they come at like 8 a.m. It's a lot of stuff. Or, you know, you're like, oh, I just really miss brunch, because who doesn't like a good Eggs Benny, right? Pure and simple is open after church. I mean, you can do that then too. But... We're all of a sudden, we're like, oh, doing my devotions is a lot of work. I'd rather just watch The Office again. Because, I mean, who doesn't enjoy that? But here's the thing, is that uh, if we're not careful, we can give in to compromise after compromise. Before, and all of a sudden, it doesn't, we don't look like the Jesus that we were set out to follow. We don't look like people who are following Jesus because we give in to compromise after little compromise. And this is what Jude is addressing in the letter, right? He was saying, I wanted to celebrate your salvation, you guys, but I see everyone slipping into compromise. So what Jesus has done for us commands a whole life response. But in order for us to respond with our whole lives, we need to be people who contend or we will be people who compromise. And in this letter, Jude is addressing the issue of false teachers or people who are compromising in their faith and faith, and then leading others into the same compromised counter to, faith, counter to Christ faith. In verses 12 and 13, he puts it like this. These people are blemishes at your love feasts, eating with you without the slightest qualm, shepherds who feed only themselves. They are clouds without rain, blown along by the wind, autumn trees without fruit and uprooted twice dead. They are wild waves of the sea foaming up their shame, wandering stars for whom the blackest darkness has been reserved forever. Yikes. <laughs> Not great. But actually, so this shepherds who feed only themselves is a callback to Ezekiel 34, which says this, in, starting in verse 3, to the wicked uh, shepherds of Israel, because it's kind of a weird thing. We're like, what does that mean, a selfish shepherd? But you eat the curds, clothe yourselves with wool, and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak, or healed the sick, or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays, or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. I don't know, do we ever see this in the modern church? You know, people who use others for their own advantage or for their own platform, who see the church as an opportunity for them and not something that they get to build and serve, or who don't look out for and care for others? Maybe? I don't know. Uh, or what about this? They're clouds without rain, which is a callback to Proverbs 25, but it says they may look okay on the outside, right? Like who doesn't like looking at like a big fluffy white cartoon cloud, but what's inside of them is void of life, they are empty. They are waterless clouds. So when they, when they come, they're just blown around because they don't produce any life. They don't provide any life. Or what about the wandering stars? And in a time where they didn't have iPhones, you guys, 
So they had to, to use their maps, which were the stars. I would have not done well in that time period. <laughs> I don't even do well with a real map. Um, but wandering stars, they are teachers who are giving misleading guidance. They're not attached to something solid. They're attached to something that's moving. And can I just say today that there are teachers who are going to who will say, start things like, well, it is 2022. So does the Bible really say that? It's because, I mean, we've changed as people. We've progressed as a culture, as a society. Can I just say those people are probably a lot like the wandering stars, not attached to the truth of God and his word, but attached to whatever it is that is moving, a moving culture, a moving tide. And the thing is, the people in the book of Jude are falling for it. They're falling into compromise. They're letting the fact that these teachers look okay on the outside, uh, even if what they're producing is empty, lead them into compromise in their obedience to God, in their devotion to one another, in their sexual ethic, in how they handle money, and how they treat others. And the thing is now, 2,000-ish years later, you know, there are days where you and I, where we're tempted to compromise in our faith, compromise in our ethics, in our standards, our theology, our behavior, because it's easier, right? We wouldn't compromise is easier sometimes than the alternative, which is contending, which is standing for and fighting for. You know, maybe you are in this room and you're like, well, I've, I don't feel very like, excited about my faith anymore. And maybe you've just relied on an old revelation of Jesus or an old encounter with his presence to carry you into the years to come. Or maybe you're like, there was a time where I was like really zealous and I like really, I felt it. I, you know, I was vibing. And now I'm just like, I don't know, like I'm devoted, I'm here, but like I've lost my first love and like I've lost the joy of my salvation. Or maybe you're like, Emily, like I'm straight up apathetic. I don't even know if I want to do this, to be honest. Like I am tired and I don't really want to serve on the dream team and I feel bad. And so I don't know if I want to do this whole faith thing at all. Like, I don't know. Or maybe you're here and you're like, I'm doing great, honestly. Like I feel zealous. I feel excited. I feel filled up and I feel like I have fresh revelation. And that's great. It really, I, I don't know where you're at in this room. Maybe I didn't even give an example of where you're at. But today, the same call to us as Jude wrote to those people all those years ago is the same, is that we need to contend for our faith. So wherever you are, wherever you're at on this, it's time to contend. It's time to contend again, to be people who contend for the faith, for passion and love and joy and encounter, who don't just say the right things, who don't just look good on the outside, but like waterless clouds, but people who are passionately following Jesus, bringing life and care and wisdom and power wherever they go. And we need to be a church. If Nova is going to be a church that sees people reached who are far from God, brought close to God, if we are going to be people who are brought close to God, we need to be people willing to contend. Contend, we have to get a little bit maybe uncomfortable, or we need to fight to remain in our faith, go deeper into the things of God, right? Yeah. So how do we do that, right? You're like, you're like, oh, that's nice, Emily. That's, thank you for that uplifting thought. Um, how do we do that, right? So according to Jude, it's through three things. Dedication to prayer, loving God through obedience, and building each other up in what he calls the most holy faith, which is faith in Jesus, the gospel of Christ. And so dedication to prayer. What do I mean about prayer? Because I think what happens in church, a lot of the time we talk about prayer, being people of prayer, needing to pray, and we have a very specific image. Maybe it's just me, I don't know. And we think about like, okay, 
I have a spot in my house, my prayer closet, so to speak. Maybe it's a couch or a literal closet. I don't know where you pray. Um, and you're like, okay, I have my notebook. I have my Bible. I have the right playlist on. I have my emotional support water bottle. And then I can pray. And our prayers sometimes are like, okay, I have this list of things I need to talk to God about. God, could you please heal the school so I no longer have a sick child every other week? That would be great. Thank you. God, could you please make this, the gas in my car last extra long because I just don't want to get more gas, Lord. And also, if you could maybe just like make give me some meals that would take only like five seconds to cook that would be good too like just download that into me you know and we sit down and we're like I have a wish list I have a to-do list but that's not the kind of prayer that Jude is talking about and actually if you're like well I don't really know where to start with prayer I'm kind of confused by this whole thing we did a really great series in January to start this year and you can go back in the podcast it's called how to pray I would really recommend it and if you're like oh yeah like I could use a refresher it's a good place to start I double checked it is in the podcast um But the thing that's important to realize is that if we are going to be people who contend for our faith, we need to make prayer something that's not just passive. It's not just a wish list. It's something that we do from the core of who we are. The kind of prayer that Jude is talking about is active. It's engaging. It's contending. And its prayer is meant to be a whole life connection and communication with God. And in verse 20, he writes this, that believers are to pray in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so I, growing up in 90s Pentecostal churches and going to Pentecostal camp growing up, and I still actually do spend a chunk of my summer there, for being honest, uh, I read that and I go, speak in tongues. Got it. Okay. He wants us to speak in tongues. But that's actually not what he's saying. And so for those of you who read that and you're like, oh my gosh, speak in tongues. It's okay. That's not what he's saying. Um, we can talk about that another time. Or you can go back and listen to our uh, Unwrapped Living series if you have questions about that. Um, But what he's actually talking about is a consistent prayer. Uh, He's talking to be led by and full of the Holy Spirit and constant communication and connection with him, which is prayer. So led by the Spirit, full of the Spirit. Not a certain way to pray, but more how our posture is in prayer. In 1 Thessalonians 5.17, Paul writes that we are to pray without ceasing. And it's hard to stay in your prayer closet or your prayer couch or whatever it is without ceasing, right? You wouldn't really get anywhere. It's hard to have quiet and contemplative prayer without ceasing, especially when you have three children, all five and under. There is not a lot of quiet in my house. It is hard to pray without ceasing when you are at work or at school. It's hard to pray without ceasing when you are on the internet, when you're watching TV. It is hard to pray without ceasing when you are living your life sometimes. But what Paul and Jude are saying here is the same thing to be in a continuous connection to Jesus through his presence and his Holy Spirit. John 15, five, Jesus says this, yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. The beautiful thing is that when we respond to God with our whole lives, with all that we are, he actually comes to help us do it. He helps he empowers us. And so if we're going to be people who are dedicated to prayer in the Holy Spirit, who contend for their faith, we need to be people who come to Jesus for the sole purpose of coming to Jesus, who invite him into every part of us, who want to abide um, into all the parts of the lives that we live. And that's what Jude means by prayer and the power of the Holy Spirit, a whole life connection and communication with God. But we have to fight for it. We have to contend for it. 
contend for his presence, contend to be people of prayer. And where does that lead us, right? So where does being a person who is full of the presence of God, where does that lead us? And that leads us to sort of this next thought that's woven through the book, and that's we love God through obedience. And all throughout the book of Jude, we see this common theme of loving God through obedience because it's not just enough to hear the word of God or to hear his voice. We actually have to be people who do what he's saying. You see, the thing about Jude is that when he goes after the false teachers, he's not like, I'm going to argue their theology with them. We're just going to go point by point. I'm going to fix this. He actually attacks their way of living, their moral compromise, because that is what shows their bad theology. He's not like, okay, he's not like, okay, let's have this argument. Let's, let's do some apologetics here. He's like, no, no, this is how you know. These are the signs. This is what it looks like, and this is what it leads you to. John 14, 15, Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commands. In other words, following me, becoming like me, looks uh, like, requires a full life response, not just in your thinking, not just in your believing, but in your actions. Following Jesus is an all-in kind of thing. And today in 2022, as we look at the letter of Jude, we are reminded that it's not always easy. It's not always natural. Sometimes we wanna be asleep when we need to be awake, Right? but we have to contend. We have to contend as we press on to our faith. And the reality is that every day we can be faced to be people of compromise in our obedience to Jesus, but we don't wanna be people who just look right on the outside, who sound like it. We wanna be people who are full of the presence of God. Not like waterless clouds that bring nothing to the earth, right? So... And this is the thing, is that what we do, a checklist, if we kind of go into that, we'll just start doing a checklist of what's right. We start to fall into religion. We're like, yeah, yeah, no, it's like, if I do this and I do this, then I look right. But the thing is, religion can't keep you. Religion always leads to compromise. Religion comes through adherence. It comes through following the rules. But obedience comes through presence. Obedience to God comes through time in his presence, comes through connection and transformation by his spirit. But religion comes from making sure that we look good on the outside, that we are a nice looking fluffy white cloud that is empty on the inside. And the problem is that compromise is usually a lot more comfortable. It wouldn't be compromise if it wasn't. But our effort and our willpower and our ability to adhere is no match. It's easier to go with the flow of culture. It's easier to put pleasing those around us before pleasing God. It's easier to listen to the voices that are like, yeah, I'm gonna validate every whim and desire that you have. It's easier, right? It's easier than following the truth of Jesus, but a life of compromise lacks in response to God. And when we're following religion, just trying to adhere to the rules, that's where we'll end up. That's why presence is essential to obedience. It's essential to obedience. A few weeks ago, Pastor Mike actually put it like this. It's not hard to be a Christian. It's impossible. It's really encouraging. But without the power of the Holy Spirit, it's not possible to be a Christian. It's not possible to follow Jesus because otherwise all we have is religion because we lack presence if all we have is religion. Um, so my husband, Matt, He's a great guy. Um, but he has a real weakness for chocolate milk. Like a real, it's a problem, weakness for chocolate milk. And if I send that man 
to Costco alone. Or if I'm at Costco and I say, go get eggs from the dairy aisle. He, without fail, comes back with a four-liter jug of chocolate milk every single time. Am I right, Leo? Yeah, I'm right. I'm right. Every single time he comes back with a four-liter jug of chocolate milk. But here's the thing. If I'm with him and we walk those aisles together, he does not come back with a four-liter jug of chocolate milk because presence leads to obedience. And no, I'm not saying he has to obey me, but that's what it does, people. The more time we spend in the presence of God, the more likely we are to obey him. When we are not just following a checklist of like, should I do this? Then when we are wandering the Costco's of life, we, are, we have the Holy Spirit present in us. We are able to go, no, I do not need that chocolate milk. I can move on towards my goal in Christ Jesus. And that's what happens when we are full of the presence of God. It leads to obedience. When we invite the Holy Spirit into our daily lives, we step into constant communion and communication with him. And his presence is what keeps us. His spirit is what keeps us in obedience. We're not going to be misguided by the wandering stars. We're not going to be uh, water, taken in by waterless clouds or end up with ridiculous amounts of chocolate milk because we are invited. We have invited the living, guiding, correcting, loving voice of God into our whole lives because we are responding to him with our whole lives. It's no longer about religion or adherence. It's about relational obedience guided by his presence but we have to contend for it, church. It's not just something that you can wake up and be like, okay, this is great, I've got the spirit of me. We have to fight, we have to contend. And when we do that, the next natural thing that happens is we build each other up. And here's what happens when, when we are people of prayer and obedience, it just results in the overflow of God's presence in our life. Have you ever met someone like that where you're like, man, I just like to be around you. It's like, there's a family who goes to this church and every time I talk to them, I walk away better. Any one of them, there's a few of them. And every time I talk to them, I walk away better because they are full of the presence of God in their lives. And when we look at the New Testament, we read the Bible, we read about the fruit of the spirit or the type of community we see visible in the early church or what we see through all the letters of Paul is that we are filled by, led by, empowered by the Holy Spirit. It will result in a church that builds each other up in our most holy faith. More than fighting to do the right things, we need to fight to be in his presence. Because when we spend time in his presence, we will do the right things. I'm gonna kick it back to a few weeks ago, Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23. It says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You know, if building up your brother and sister in Christ feels like a stretch, if you're like, Ugh, building like people up, like I don't even really want to like, I don't even know if I like these people. Or if you're like, you leave church and you're like, okay, but you're like, oh, just people in general. Maybe you don't need to wonder like, what is wrong with my heart? Maybe you need to actually go, am I connected to the presence of God? Have I invited the presence of God into my life? And instead of going, God, help me to like other people more. We need to say, God, would you fill me? Would you fill me? Would it be a natural overflow of who I am? Is it central to me? Am I walking in obedience? 
John 13, Jesus says this, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So if we are gonna be people who know and serve Jesus, the Jesus who has given all glory, all majesty, all power and authority, who is the prize, who has said, follow me, I will give you the good life. Abide in me and you will not perish. If we wanna follow that Jesus, the one who's promised us those things to take part in that we need to respond to him. We need to be devoted to prayer. We need to love God through obedience to him and we need to build each other up. We need to contend, church. We need to contend to not just be people who look okay on the outside, who are empty on the inside, to not just be people who are blown with the wind of culture. We need to be content to be attached to the presence of God. You know, when I set out to write this message, I was like, contend for the faith. I got this. This is good. But the more I read Jude, the more I was like, oh, contending for our faith is actually contending for the spirit of God in our lives. And so it's, it's one of those things where you're like, yeah, faith, no big deal. But no, there's so much. Jesus sent his Holy Spirit to us so that we don't have to do it alone, so that we're not just wandering through life going, well, I hope I'm doing it right. He gave us his spirit so that he can empower us. He can embolden us. He can lead us. He can help us to know all truth. And so in a happy accident, we are going to make some room today. And we need to be people who are gonna contend. That means we might have to make some room in our lives. We might have to make some room in the corners of our lives that are kind of like shut off to Jesus. And so why don't you just stand with me today? We're gonna move on in the service, but before we do, would you just take a minute and search your heart, allow the, allow the Holy Spirit to search your heart. And would you just say, God, is there any ways within me that are far from you? Is there parts of me that are closed off to your presence? And we're gonna make room. We're gonna make room not only in our hearts, in our lives, but we're gonna make room in this, in this time. You can go get your kids in a few minutes. But would you just take a minute as the band plays, would you ask the Lord, would you ask his spirit to search you? And if you're like, that kind of, I don't know if I know the Holy Spirit, you can just invite his presence. It's a really simple prayer. Come Holy Spirit, come Holy Spirit, search me and know me. Speak to me that I might know your voice. I'm just going to take a quick minute and then the band's going to sing.
you 